millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Super Real. Hey, I'm Julian Morgans, and you're listening to What It Was Like, the show that asks people who have lived through big, dramatic events what it was like. Hello, welcome back to another episode. It's a new year, so happy new year. And on the topic of years, let's talk about 1999. Now, it was kind of a while ago now, but but it sticks in my memory pretty firmly. And uh, and that's because I turned 13, I became a teenager. So the aesthetic, the mood, the uh, the technology, it's all it's all kind of firmly anchored in my mind. I remember that everyone was wearing really baggy jeans and like South Park boxer shorts made of satin. And uh, I remember that my school, they got their first digital camera and it was like the size of a toaster, but all the teachers were really, really happy about it. And um, I remember the incredible artwork on the cover of Limp Bizkit's seminal album, Significant Other. Do you remember that? So yeah, I've got, I've got all this stuff that just sort of sticks in my mind from this year. And the other thing is, is Woodstock. Woodstock 99, which for some reason, I don't know why, I, I sort of, I never took much interest in the news as a kid. No one really does, but me especially. But for some reason, I took notice that like it was the 30th anniversary of the original uh, Woodstock hippie sort of music and art fair. Um, and, and the organizers, they wanted to do it again. So they'd invited about, I think it was about 400,000 kids to a former Air Force base in upstate New York. And they got a selection of like the world's biggest, most angry bands to play across two stages. So I'd taken notice of this and, and I'd like to pretend it was because there was some really cool bands playing like Rage Against the Machine. But but the fact is it was, it was Limp Bizkit. And I was like, damn, I'd like to go see that. But anyway, I didn't. So... It was supposed to be like this beautiful celebration of love and peace that would that would close out the 1990s, but instead it turned into a total disaster. 
On the final night, the crowd rioted, setting fire to food trucks and tearing apart the stage. Um, no one was actually, no one died, but uh, sexual assault was was just rife. And, and the medical tent apparently filled up with all these burned, injured teenagers. And then troopers from the New York State Police were brought in wearing riot gear just to get everything under control. Now, you actually might know all of this already because you'll have recently watched Trainwreck, Woodstock 99 on Netflix. And I saw it too. It was, it was great. It was fantastic. It was a three-part documentary series, and I really enjoyed it. But I have to say, I've got, I've got one little criticism, and that is that I just, I just wanted to know what it felt like to be there. Like the documentary provided a great bird's eye view on how it all fell apart and maybe like the, the broader sociological context of all that male aggression. But, but I don't know, it just kind of, it kind of left me wanting. Um, I think history is most interesting when you get a sense of, of what it was like to be in the middle. I mean, this is probably comes as no surprise. I've got this show called What It Was Like. So I really wanted to capture this. So I went looking for people who'd been arrested at Woodstock 99. And I did that because I figured that if you got arrested at Woodstock, then you were probably really in the middle of it. So I, I scoured local papers looking for names. And I found this guy. Okay, I found this one guy whose name had been published. There was this headline about how this man from Washington State had been arrested and, and his name was Kelvin Cardwell. And apparently he'd assaulted a cop and I thought, well, I bet that man has a story. So I tracked down Kelvin, who was there with his friend Chad Yantis, and that's who we're hearing from today, Kelvin and Chad. Um, Kelvin was 17 at the time and, and Chad was 18. And, and I got the impression that like they'd had really like nice upbringings. Neither of them had been in trouble. Uh, one of their mums actually packed them like a like snacks for their journey across the country on, on the train. Um, so that just gives you a sense of, of like who these people were. And, and yet this is the story of how they ended up in a riot and how Kelvin went to jail and accidentally became the poster boy for all of the mayhem at Woodstock 99. Okay, Kelvin, Chad, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Okay, so you guys were both living on the West Coast at the time. You weren't, you weren't like New York locals at all. No. No, we were about as far away as we could get yep. from Woodstock. <laughs> all right, so, so walk me through that. Uh, you guys were pretty young. How did you get across the country? <laughs> Uh, first, I had to beg parents for permission. That was a trick of its own. <clears throat> we saved the money and got a train ticket. It was a three-day trip, if I remember right. And the closer we got to New York, the uh, more people were going and the crazier the train ride got. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Were you guys drinking at the time? I, uh, not that we weren't drinking, but just couldn't get it, right? Because we're all underage, so... yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I imagine there was, uh, there was a fair bit of uh, drunken tomfoolery happening on the train. It was a lot more smoke and weed than it was uh, drinking, I think. But I think, and I, what I remember, people too, like like airplane bottles of liquor and stuff like that on the train, and then other drugs and stuff too. Especially when you got close. Wow. The last twelve hours was like its own crazy wild party. They put us all in our own train car, or maybe two, and pretty much left us alone because yeah. it was getting too wild on the rest of the train yeah. to have us spread out. They had the smoking car stills back then, <laughs> so it was like you'd go down to the smoking car and it was just oh yeah, everybody just smoking weed and yeah, pretty funny. Yeah, okay. And uh, and Chad, this one's for you. So after three days, that's a long journey. You know, like you, you get to New York, 
you you finally arrive at uh, it was an air force base i believe yeah so you finally yeah. arrive at the place so walk me through your first impressions uh just kind of crazy so when we got there they you know the train let us all off and then they had buses that were waiting there to like bus us out to the, essentially the middle of nowhere for this air force base right um and then um when we got there, it was just craziness with what they called it, the peace patrol, like, you know, going through and trying to like check for, um, you know, wanding everybody and stuff like that, but they weren't doing anything right. You had people just like tapping metal detectors on people's belts and them going off and just letting everybody in and people, you know, dragging coolers, tents and all sorts of craziness just through the gates. And, uh, so it was just kind of wild even just getting in there. Yeah, the amount of people and the the sea of cars to walk to walk over there was incredible. And yeah, they were just trying to pass people in as quick as possible so that the line didn't uh, get built up too much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And tell me about the crowd. Like I imagine that it was huge. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, seas of people. I mean, yeah. like everywhere. And now again, it was the Air Force base, so it was your you're walking along the tarmac to get to the different, you know, areas. So there was a somewhat space, but I mean, it was crazy. Like the tent situation was funny because we got there and it was literally where that you got to go set up your tent was just packed. And we're just kind of walking on these teeny pathways through. And we eventually found this one like perfect circle. They're like, oh, so one spot left to put our tent. Well, we pitched our tent there and everything like that. We realized what it was was a circle of people who would try to make their own little spot. And we just (laughs) plopped right in the middle of it uh, just because there was nowhere else. (laughs) Okay. So you guys get your your tent set up in uh, in someone else's uh, picnic area. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys are there for 24 hours. Um, Day two, Limp Bizkit's playing. And this is when when things start to really get a bit wild. Tell me about it. I remember us being really hot and like hanging, like there was a uh, fire hose just blowing water that we were sitting under that for a little while trying to cool down and boards, people people passing boards off the wall. And I think that the lead singer like encouraged that, said pass one of them up here. And then, yeah, that was just really a, a wild memory to see people ripping down the wall to the outside of the event center. Yeah, I think Fred Durst <laughs> eventually like jumped on the board somewhat and like crowd surfed on the yeah. board a little bit. And we were we had I think kind of gone back up a little bit by then um down into the crowd more cuz I remember seeing it from the right side mm-hmm. of the stage and kind of not being way far Pretty back. Low. Yeah. What did you think of that Chad? Were you were you impressed or nervous? I'm not nervous. I mean, again, we'd been in many crowds no. before, right? So it was that was all fun. You know what I mean? Like running around, seeing you know, yeah. you know, chicks on shoulders, the whole festival type of atmosphere, right? And then, uh, yeah. yes, again, seeing that him encourage that, him jumping on the thing and the boards running around the stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. or around the crowd. So yeah, no, that was fun. Okay, and when you say people were like passing boards around, like I think the set, like the the stage was built out of these like plywood boards or something, like tearing them off. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, the walls around the whole thing were all plywood boards too. Okay, all right. So let's let's just move forward to Sunday, right? Sunday is when shit got real. Um, when you woke up in the morning, did you have any premonition, or was it just a regular morning? I would say just a regular morning. Again, we were uh, we meandered about a lot. I mean, we went to different shows. We would kind of, again, like Calvin said, between, uh, you know, fact check this or whatever. But like, 
half mile, three quarters of a mile between one you know stage and the other because they were the opposite ends of the uh, the tarmac, right? So we would just go to one and then we would kind of wander back all the way across to the other and see what was going on in between. Um, but it wasn't really until that night that, and I, 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 I swear it was Megadeth that we were watching on the one stage um, when it all kind of started. The, we noticed everything started going nuts. I remember there being a, there was like a, a, a glow on the horizon was the first thing that seemed different as we were walking to go see Chili Peppers and people walking away from the show and not towards the show because we knew we were a little bit late to the show. And I think we start, first saw it on the screen, right? They had the big TVs up showing the opposite end. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they started showing Chili Peppers over there. And and then I think, you know, oh, the other one was uh, not to go backwards, but Metallica, because when they played, remember it started raining and um, yeah. they, they announced on stage, like, there's a thunderstorm and they start telling everybody, don't touch anything metal. Well, you got 500,000 people being pushed up against metal stages and stuff like that. And them announcing, hey, don't touch anything metal because if a lightning strikes, you're all going to die. Right. So <laughs> I think that was another that time when it's, st- yeah, you know, started getting a little weird being like, how the hell are you guys going to control this? What was the other thing on the stage, too? They were like saying. Remember, uh, they also had the. They had a security guard uh, driving like a little gator cart for Metallica show and everybody climbed on his cart and he kept yelling people to get off and they like too many people got on it and he couldn't drive anywhere. He was stuck there in the middle of the crowd with people standing on his cart to see the show better. Yeah. (laughs) And he was uh, he was on the radio trying to get help and nobody would come. I remember that was kind of wild. And the the other announcement I remember was uh, them saying, don't take the like blue ecstasy or something like that we and they like just announcing if you see this we've got like a bunch of people in the medical tent because they're you know uh taking whatever it was at the time and it was so that was another kind of a crazy one wow that's that's bad vibes it sounds like for a number of reasons there was just this sort of bad aura around the place yeah 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 i mean i I think uh, i think that's one of the things that uh people talk about like that's that's one of the one of the facets of this story is is just how the energy kind of soured maybe over the weekend. Um, I don't know. Would would you guys agree with that? What do you think, Chad? I think that as you you know started seeing more and more what was going on, you saw less of that peace love vibe and more of the like people being a little more destructive. Um, uh, you know, people tearing down like you know. The, I remember the mud and the porta potties too was just people rolling in mud and you look behind it there's a line of porta potties and you're like dude that's disgusting what the hell are you guys even rolling in you know um stuff like that but then um throwing bottles and stuff like that too and like more like a a, a frat a frat boy type of party versus like a peace love hippie type of woodstock era party you know what i mean uh so that that was definitely yeah. you know the feeling especially getting later and later yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it has also been made of of uh, kind of the way women were treated at this festival. You know, that there was there was a lot of. Um, I mean, I don't have any numbers with me, but a lot of stats around sexual assault, and, and mm-hmm. I think there were quite a few rapes reported over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys get this sense? Did you see anything? You know, what was the what was the mood there in that way? To my memory, I didn't. I, we didn't witness anything along those lines, except for. Uh, a couple people would grope girls as they were trying to uh, crowd surf. And for the most part, 
other people would stand up for him or stop these people from doing it. Uh, so there was a lot of good people out there trying to help people, but I could see those those situations did happen, and that's yeah terrible. And I think definitely a lot of intoxication involved with you know uh, just being taken advantage of there. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, with a frat boy atmosphere, everyone turbocharged on on drink. Um, okay, all right. So, so Kelvin, you were saying before that, um, or you guys were describing walking towards the Chili Peppers and seeing this glow on the horizon, and everyone's kind of walking mm-hmm. in the opposite direction. So, you guys are kind of you're almost walking upstream, really, into the crowd. What what did that feel like? Do you know, were you guys kind of like, what the hell's going on? It, well, it seemed like a fifty-fifty. Half the people were walking away, and half the people were going towards the show, and just noticing the glow on the horizon. And then finally coming up over this like little hill of some sort and seeing down into the stage. And there was, I think there might've been like one reasonable size fire going at that point. And I heard a couple people say like, uh, there's fires, go ahead and go back the other way as we were walking towards the show. But we're like, but we want to see chili peppers. And they're still playing. Yeah. Yeah. And what about the fire? Were you concerned? Not at that point, no. No, I mean, it was... I, I wasn't at least. It was getting bigger but like again by that time i think more people had start it, the crowd was more dispersed so it wasn't like you were forced mm-hmm. to get to and it's such a huge area um that it wasn't like a, i was I, I, I wasn't concerned that i was going to get burnt or anything like that and there was nothing to burn there except for what they were throwing in what were they throwing in what was the fire made of plywood <laughs> speakers, speakers i'm thinking yeah, yeah plywood from the wall yep they they tore down the speaker towers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just whatever they could find that would burn. And I'm sure that once uh, some of that plastic and crap started going, it wasn't going to stop very quick. Honestly, we, we were there for a little while, and then more and more fires. It was basically every speaker tower, from what I remember, there would you know they were able to kind of like mm-hmm. start a fire there, right? And so you would have these, I mean, just big pockets of fires. And then eventually they started lighting the uh, semi-trucks on fires. And that was the big, huge thing. Oh, and then, uh, shoot, eventually they got into the it was refrigerated semi-trailers, right? So they had fuel and everything on them. Um, and then it was frozen pretzels, right? There was just, they had broken into a truck full of <laughs> frozen pretzels. And there was pretzels just flying everywhere, like in... The whole area. My favorite was the uh, the glow sticks. Yes, there was like a glow stick war. It looked like a, I don't know, a crazy like a Star Wars battle. There was green and red glow sticks flying back and forth from you know hundreds of people throwing these things at each other, just having a a war, but you know having fun. That was a. Uh, I forgot about the pretzels until you mentioned it. Yeah, I mean frozen frozen pretzels are hard. You know, if you got hit yeah. in the head by a frozen pretzel, that's gonna hurt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do either of you have any specific memories of of like the kinds of people who were who were causing this mayhem? So. I know that the speaker towers didn't seem to go down until after Chili Peppers left the stage and people were upset that the show was over. And so that's when they started knocking down that. And then we saw, you know, people light the couple things, other things on fire. But we were uh, hanging out next to one of the fires and it was like a drum circle almost. People were using the frame of the speaker towers uh, as a drum and like having sticks and having a whole like drum circle almost. But 
it wasn't like a hippie drum circle. It was just really hard to describe because there was no music going on, but there there was like in its own way. Wow. Wow. <laughs> this is like pagan death metal. <laughs> yeah. I think you had like the combination of a bunch yeah, very of very industrial uh, bunch of like frat boy anger and tearing stuff apart and then like the the more hippieish drum circle people taking advantage and just walking around like and like I think there was other people like us. We were just we weren't doing anything. We were just enjoying the spectacle to some extent, right? I mean, uh-huh. neither of us were scared or anything like that. I mean, and you call it a riot, but it wasn't like people were fighting each other, right? It was more like they were fighting the 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 corporate, you know, entity that was this Woodstock show, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's been spoken about a lot about how like the uh, the extortionate prices for water and stuff fueled the frustration that caused this this problem. Did, does that feel accurate to you? I'd say, yeah. I mean, like, just for example, I remember one time, uh, Calvin, I don't know if you remember this, like, we uh, had just come down, I think it was more earlier in the morning, and we'd sat next, the show hadn't even started, we're all sitting, and this one guy, like, handed us a joint, and we smoke, right? And then we both just got so high that we had to go get water, and there was, like, no option. And I think Calvin mentioned earlier, there was a dude with just a fire hose that if you had, I think we may have even found random bottles on the ground just to like go fill up our water from a fire hose just to Mm. be able to not, you know, pass out from, you know, being hot and high and, you know, you know, dizzy or whatever. So that was the part that was kind of crazy. There's dirt in that water that we were filling up those bottles. And I remember I was drinking it, knowing that there was sand and stuff in it, but we were so hot and dehydrated that We didn't really care. We're going to take a quick ad break here and we'll be right back with more What It Was Like. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux. 
XXXC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Okay, all right. So it's so it's Sunday night, and then there's these fires happening, and glow stick wars, and uh, and people are chucking frozen pretzels around. And Kelvin, <laughs> Kelvin, you got arrested. Do you want to do you want to tell me about how this happened? Yeah, um, I think Chad got to see it. It was very strange from my point of view. We were at one of those drum circle-esque things, talking to some guy we just met and saying, you know, this is wild, this is crazy. Just kind of dancing around. And all of a sudden I got like hit in the back and knocked over. And in my head, I just instantly thought like, you know, some drunk guy just stumbled and ran into me. It was no big deal. And I go to get up and all of a sudden I get my hands put behind my back and arrested and started getting walked off and... I don't know what you saw from that point, Chad, but I remember like looking back at you, like what the hell's going on? I was, I had no idea what had happened at that point. It was just out of the blue. Damn. Chad, what did you see? Yeah. So we were standing, it was like, I swear it's like four or five of those refrigerated trailers all on fire. Right. So this huge fire and to, to Kaplan's point, I mean, there was a bunch of people there and I remember some of the the cops were all there by that point <clears throat> and so they were all in their like riot gear and there was a cop uh, calvin i don't remember this like on a like a four-wheeler like a little atv kind of driving around in between where the whole crowd was standing in that huge fire and we were standing there with a just a mm-hmm. dude that we were just met so it was me and then this dude that we i, I don't know if you even remember his name but and then standing next to him was calvin and <laughs> no from behind, uh, to his point, he got pushed, but it was weird because it was just a plain co- closed cop guy. It wasn't any of the other cops who were in like their full like riot gear with their helmets and stuff, and he just pushed them like into the circle. And once they were kind of into the circle, is when they, you know, others kind of other cops kind of joined and like you know tied him up and took him off. And to me, it was like literally, I took a step back because now there's like three riot cops and then like this other guy. Arresting both, <laughs> arresting both of them. Oh shit! Yep. So Kelvin, you weren't you weren't breaking anything. You you say you were just standing there. I was standing there, sort of dancing to the drums that were going on, and yeah, just out of the blue, I hadn't done anything. It was a interesting experience overall. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened to you? Uh, so they took us to. Uh, a court, like a, I'm pretty sure they had a judge on site to tell us. Well, first of all, they put me in the back of the cop car with the back window busted out, sitting on broken glass. I remember looking back and seeing a couple of the tractor trailers, propane tanks exploding. Wow. And after sitting in that car for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so with the cop, they finally like drove us not very far to 
where they had a judge, I'm pretty sure, at least on site, and they like said, yeah, go ahead and lock him up. We'll deal with this on Monday. And yeah, it was like a, a courtroom at night. It was very surreal to look back and try to think about it. And uh, I had no idea if my friend was going to be able to find me. Um, I had no idea if I was going to be able to catch the train. Like all these things were starting to go through my head as they took me to this Oneida County jail. <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, a 17-year-old kid at the time, starting to get really terrified. And I remember the first morning, they like had me all dressed in orange in this uh, jail pod area. And they, I walk out, and a couple people, you know, I'm just a... You know, in Washington, I would have been in a juvie. This was in New York. I was a legal adult, so they put me in a jail, which was just terrifying. Yeah. But a couple of these people are like, oh, you were at Woodstock. We saw that on the TV. You, you know, you did this, you did that. And I just like, yeah, yeah, sure. Because all of a sudden I had people like pretty much defending me and watching my back while I was in this jail. And so I just like, yeah, sure. That, we got those cops. Sure. But uh, yeah, that was a terrifying experience. Oh, man. That sucks. That sucks. What a weird situation. <laughs> why, why did they have a judge on call at that time on a Sunday night? Like, that's it's the wrong approach. I can't even fathom it. I look back on it now and it just doesn't make any sense. And I'm so, perhaps I'm remembering it somewhat incorrectly, but I'm pretty sure that they had it right there on site. Jesus. Oh, also, can I just point out that watching propane tanks explode through the shattered glass of a, of a cop car at Woodstock 99 is probably the most wild vignette I've ever heard. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so did you get let out? Like, what happened? Uh, so this, I got arrested at probably like 11 at night or so, and they considered that hour from 11. Well, first of all, I got a public defender that next day, went to court at something and they told me, well, you can try to fight it, but we'll probably hold you here for a couple weeks till you have a court date or you can plead guilty and they'll most likely send you home. So the public defender said, you can get out of here in a couple days, most likely if you plead guilty. And so that's what I did. Um, looking back on it now, I would never do that. I would have fought tooth and nail, but uh, I did that. And so they gave me a five day sentence. Uh, they accused me of throwing a rock at a cop, throwing a bottle and an object, three different accusations. And I don't know which one they settled on. Uh, so I spent, we got my five day sentence. And then it was that first 11 at night till midnight what they counted as a day. I spent three days in and then at uh, midnight the next day, they let me out and I walked out of the jail and there was Chad there with a taxi, just there to rescue me. It was happiest thing I saw. <laughs> I didn't know if he had caught the train and gone home. I had really no idea. Good on you, Chad. That's that's heartwarming. Yeah. I think I actually ended up talking to you once while you were in jail, though. In the courtroom, I believe. Sometime, because I... Wasn't at the courtroom? I saw you in court, so I, I, I made it to the court, and it was... Okay. I don't know if you remember, it was both of you. Both you and that other guy that, like, got arrested with mm -hmm. you, they brought out at the same time and accused you guys of throwing something at an officer. Yeah. And I know he didn't because I was sitting there talking to him. <laughs> yeah. Two people for one incident. Yeah. Hmm. So, so Kelvin, we'll circle back to, to kind of what this meant for you later. But, but Chad, I just want to come back <clears throat> to, to your perception of, of this event. Like, like your friend has just been hauled off. 
Uh, like, how did you feel in that moment? What happened next? I, I just wanted. I was trying to find him, honestly, because uh, <clears throat> you know I saw what happened. I saw they had taken away, and then at that point, the riot cops really started like forming their lines and trying to push people back. So I saw where all the cop cars were that they had, and I assumed that that's where they kind of take him. So I started trying to walk towards that right and again now there's all sorts of fires to calvin's point you hearing things kind of a little blow up somewhat and then um but they pushed me back right so let's just um sorry let's i just want to zoom in on the on the pandemonium happening around you like like can you just describe that to me do, do any sort of memories stick out uh just people people walk in every direction um again the riot cops kind of coming in it was like at first they were just kind of letting it go, but then they must have got enough numbers to where they thought they could just push people away from where all the fires were, and and that's what they did. They just formed their lines, started pushing people out, and then you know, like I said, all the cops and everything, cars and all that were behind their lines and pushing people away from it. And then and again, it's such a big area that it wasn't like cops elbow to elbow. It'd be like a cop and then fifteen or twenty feet away another cop, and then a line of them all the way across, kind of pushing. So you had people kind of walking in between them and stuff. And, and that's what I did. So I walked in between them. And at some point they, you know, came up to me like out of here or else we're going to arrest you. It didn't seem like they, I mean, they couldn't take 500,000 people away. Right. So I don't think they wanted to arrest too many people, but, um, especially since what the number I ended up hearing, there was only seven people ended up being arrested. But yeah, after that though, once you got away from the stage area, it was just, people again still throwing glow sticks and just uh, back to the kind of the party right because once you're away from that stage area you had to walk so far to get back to the tents and where everything was at and actually that was kind of another crazy part it was like a war zone and that like people were ripping apart atm machines that was one thing i definitely and tearing apart all of the uh um, you know, the booth. So like if there was a booth out there, it was totally ransacked, you know, gar- gar- the garbage. I mean, it was insane the amount of garbage that was just everywhere. I mean, like you couldn't walk without walking over bottles and paper and food waste and, you know, torn apart ATM machines and booths and just stuff like that. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> Did you, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest with you. If I saw people tearing apart an ATM machine, in the middle of this this kind of riot, this environment, I'd have probably taken some money, or I'd have certainly taken like some merch. <laughs> did you? Did you? <laughs> I think that so when I was walking back, right. So everything was happening at the fires, and then Calvin gets arrested, and then stuff going on. By the time I was walking back through all that other area, it's like the wave of people had gone through there and ripped it all apart, right? So I saw ATM machines just ripped totally apart. I don't know if they got any money out of there or not. It seemed like they worked pretty hard to rip this thing apart, and it was just sitting there, and nobody was necessarily around it anymore. So either they got all the money or just gave up and couldn't get to it. But um, no, I, I didn't try and take any money or anything like that. <laughs> it was all on all the merch and okay. stuff like that. Like I said, the booths were the booths were wasted. Like they were, they'd already been ransacked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a Woodstock '99 uh, T-shirt from a ransacked booth. Would probably fetch a nice price on eBay these days. Oh yeah, I might I might bid on it if I can find one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, after this, so so all right. So you've lost your friend, and you're kind of walking back towards the tents. Um, keep taking me through that. Uh, I walked. I walked 
all over the place. And again, it was there was there was <clears throat> like the the rave scene. I think was kind of going on back at that point. So there was some. I think there was. I, I can't even remember what the bands were that played there. That like were like the rave type of bands but you know there was a big tents and stuff that people were just have partying in uh just tons of drinking that's where i would have said i saw the most like intoxicated like women running around um and you know i I remember one thing i'm walking through the tent type of areas and like just seeing like the frat boy type of dudes like running with you know women on their back just running around just just going crazy. I mean, not necessarily doing anything other than just making noise, being drunk and running and just wanting to break whatever they could see. Yeah. 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 Were you, I mean, were you feeling upset? Like you've just watched your friend get arrested. You're by yourself at this point. I think I'd find that kind of traumatizing. I was upset. Definitely. I mean, like, you know, pissed that, you know, my friend that I'm supposed to like, you know, be hanging out with this whole time is now going to jail for all I knew. Um, uh, and but yeah, but then also kind of wandering around what the you know wondering you know how am I going to get back a hold of him and then you know what am I going to do in in between that time right so um, man I like if if that time frame's right and he was like arrested around eleven I probably was up until like twelve one maybe just kind of wandering around seeing everything and then just decided to just go to bed because uh, I was going to get up and try and find him the next morning. All right, so then you went to bed about one. Uh, and you just, yeah, you decided to look for him the next day. So, so take me to the next day. So that was one weird thing. So when I went to bed, it was still, obviously it was nighttime, tents everywhere, you know, just people all over the place. Well, when I woke up and got out of the tent, it was light and it's like everybody was gone, but it was almost like everybody's tent was just sitting there kind of half smashed and what I first thought was how the hell did I sleep through the night without getting like stepped on you know what I mean without people like (laughs) bowling over the tent and like you know crushing me because when I woke up it was like a wasteland like most people were already all gone and I can't imagine that I slept like that late in the morning I can't remember what time it was but it was it was crazy how much mass exodus there had been in between when I went to sleep and woke up. And I'm guessing it was just that everybody had left that night and not as many people stayed that last night to, uh, you know. But a lot of the tents were still there. A lot of people didn't pack up their tents, I'm guessing, just because they were all busted up. Um, but, you know, I was still kind of there almost, you know, memory is what, what it is, but it seemed like an island, one tent standing and the rest just kind of <laughs> crushed. Man, that that must have been a bit surreal. I mean, I hate it when I like go to bed with my wife or something, and then she wakes up before I do, and I wake up and I'm alone. I find it really like disconcerting. I'm like, what happened? Yeah. What happened without me? People have left. Yeah. Like waking up in this just like moonscape full of junk by yourself. That would have been really weird. <laughs> it, it was. It was definitely crazy. And again, the amount of trash everywhere was something I had never seen before. I mean, just just stuff everywhere. Oh shit! All right, so, so once you uh, gathered your possessions, I, like what? What did you do? How do you? How do you go looking for Kelvin? <clears throat> so I got out of there. I I can't remember how I, I went back to the train station, right? So I basically I packed up what I could, right? And so I was carrying like my bag on my front and or Calvin's bag on my back, and I left stuff too. I don't think we like I don't think I took the tent and stuff like that just because it was extra crap to carry, right? And so then got out of there and then got back to the strange train station and I remember I stashed like our bags under the bench at the train station at the train station <clears throat> and was just like 
okay, I'm going to go find him now, right? So I think I called like, you know, I like I called my mom. I, I think I talked to his dad and such and told him what was going on and then um, found out where he was at, right? And then actually went, found out when the trial was going to be and then got there, right? I stayed in a hotel and there was still people like, at the hotels and stuff too that were still trying to continue the party. I remember like some dude was running up. He's like, you came from Woodstock and like, we're going to continue the rave from last night. And I'm like, all right, you know, and I'm just trying to find Calvin. So, um, again, found out where he was, went and saw them in court. Right. So I found the court. I, again, I had to have taken a cab. I don't think I walked, but, um, got there and saw them come in all chained up and uh, in their, you know, Oneida <laughs> County jumpsuits and then get charged and then found out that they could get released. I must have been on the phone a bunch, right? Uh, calling the court, calling whatever, and then found out when they were going to get re- released or at least when he was able to be picked up. I think that was the deal. Like, they would have let him out that night if somebody was there to take him because, again, that jail was mm. in the middle of nowhere. So I was like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll come to pick him up. So I got a cab. We went out there and waited for him and then he was able to be released and then you know, we took him from there to to the hotel we were staying at um and i remember i think he asked me at one point like if i would try and help this other guy the, the guy that you know was arrested with him get out but somehow i that didn't end up happening so that dude had to stay in jail and calvin got to leave okay so so i'm i'm guessing that once you got calvin back like that was kind of the end of your woodstock 99 experience um, I'm guessing that you guys went home. Yeah, we had to like beg the train people to switch our tickets back to, you know, to let us ride. Like we had missed our train, so, um, so we had to switch our train, and then they, which they let us do. Like, and the guy was reluctant about it. You know, us again being a couple dirty kids at that point. You know, trying to looking all burnt and <laughs> ragged, and trying to get on a train, and they let us. So I, they wanted to make us pay a bunch of money, but he just let us have, you know, let us go. That's good. So was was this like immediately a media sensation? Were you guys like on this train going back home, and you're aware that it was all over the papers and stuff? Uh, not so, I mean, maybe a little bit at that point. I don't remember it being that big of a deal. I remember people, like, I remember the train guy when we were trying to switch our tickets being like, oh, you were at, you know, Woodstock and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, like, yeah. That, and then he got arrested and we were trying, he somewhat sympathized with us really, right? I mean, I think that's why he let us switch our tickets. But then I don't remember it being a huge deal on the way back because I think the crowd had left by then, right? I mean, so we we're just on train with normal people at this point coming all the way back across the country. Um, and so at some point um, when we got back is when we started hearing more and more about it. Saw the newspaper article about man from Olympia arrested in Woodstock violence. I remember that being the headline in the local paper. And it was there. It was Calvin that had gotten arrested. And uh, it was kind of funny because what I remember is it being like man from uh Olympia and was like, dude, he's 17 year old kid, right? You know, it made it sound like he was some, you know, big proponent of all this chaos that went yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how was that for you, Kelvin? I mean, you've just spent a bunch of days in prison. How were you feeling? I was definitely shell shocked. Um, one of my main thoughts in my head as we were riding the train back is, how much trouble am I going to be in with my dad when I get home? And knowing that I didn't do anything to be arrested, but whether or not he's going to believe that, um, you know, 17 year old kid goes to this party and gets arrested. Obviously he did something to deserve it. Uh, 
took him a long time to believe that I was truly innocent over it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like I did get some some in trouble for it, but I don't think he did a whole lot because I already been yeah, punished. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys? Did either of you guys get any sort of street cred amongst you amongst your friends for like you you were at Woodstock '99? Like, th- eventually this came out in the news and the papers. Like, it was a fairly big media story at the time, and you guys were there. I, I don't know about I mean, street cred, but yeah. uh, as far as a lot of good stories, I mean, talking about it a lot and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, it makes for good stories at a party or something. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, at the time, everybody that we knew knew we were going, and so that didn't yeah. change anything. And then, uh, you know, everybody after hearing both our sides of the story believed that I didn't actually throw a rock or whatever at uh, a cop. Yeah. So yeah, Kelvin did. Has this, has this, uh, I mean, you pled guilty to a, to a, I don't know, a crime or a misdemeanor or whatever the technical term is. I mean, has, has this been a problem throughout your life? I mean, it definitely hasn't been a problem that hasn't followed me that I know of at least, but the, uh, being arrested for something I didn't do, uh, has definitely changed my opinion and certain interactions with police throughout my life. Um, I had been pulled over for walking before, for example, and, you know, I was just walking down the street and a cop pulls onto the sidewalk in front of me and wants to talk to me. And I just like start thinking about what could happen. You know, I haven't done anything. Is this going to all happen again? And so, you know, obviously I get defensive right off the bat, which doesn't look good to any officer. So, um, yeah, in that way, it has followed me, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, look, I, I guess I've got one one last question, maybe two. Two, because I'm not entirely sure what this one question is, but it's a general feeling that I'm trying to get across, is that is that uh, I think for all of us, we're all getting older. You know, I've got some kids. You guys have both got kids. Um, and yet the era of Limp Bizkit and stuff, that wasn't that long, that wasn't that long ago. Um, so I want to know, like, I don't know. Do you, how do you feel when you look back 20 years ago? You know, do you guys get nostalgic? Are you sentimental people? And and if so, how much does this event sort of register as part of your youth? I mean, it was definitely there, but I think some of the other festivals that we've gone to, like Bumper Shoot and some of the just local bands in town of Olympia, like almost register more to me because it just, it's always been, I don't know more fun in some way. I mean, we had a lot of fun there, don't get me wrong, but it was, I don't know, just some of the other things that we've done, I think, uh, register more than that. It's never been a huge thing in my life. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I mean, like, it was an experience, I'll put it that way, and something to definitely remember forever, but to Calvin's point, I mean, we had been going to shows for for a while at that point and then continued to go to shows after that and, uh, had seen so many, right? And that was just one of the experiences. And again, it's great stories and stuff, but, and even going through it, it wasn't like traumatic in a sense, right? I mean, there was and obviously yeah, a little little, more, for, more for Calvin, but like, but, you know, for me, it was like, I don't get too terribly worked up about many things. So it wasn't like I was running around freaking out, you know, I mean, it was just, you know, what do I do next to solve the problem and then move on? So it definitely wasn't any lasting trauma for me. And um, and you guys haven't seen each other in like close to fifteen years. Like t- today, Kelvin, you drove to see to see Chad. Uh, thanks for doing that. You drove a long way. Um, but uh, I want to know, like, 
when you guys saw each other for the first time in 15 years, were you both like, oh my God, there's my, there's my you know, buddy from Woodstock 99, you know, was it, how, how's it been to see each other today? Uh, it's been good. We'll probably yeah. get to hang out later because yeah. I only got into town maybe an hour before we started this, so, but it was really good. It's been a long time since I've seen him and we talked a little bit on the phone to catch up, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think the cool thing would be like seeing him now and then going up and visiting him and stuff too and, you know, getting to, you know, rebuild the friendship, I guess, right? And the main thing I was wondering after not seeing him for that long is, did he get fat or not? No, he, he stayed just as skinny as he always has. So that, that, that was no surprise. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to leave you guys to it. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for, uh, you know, for all the traveling, Kelvin. And, um, and thanks for telling me your story. It's, uh, well, thanks for hearing it. It's pretty wild. It was. Good times. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you're thinking, hey, I've got a story that's uh, interesting, something that I think would work for this show, then please get in touch. Um, I love hearing feedback. I love hearing your story suggestions. So just hit me up. I am Julian Morgans on Instagram and Morgans Julian on Twitter. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Tuffery. It was edited and mixed by Jimmy Saunders, who also did our theme music. Our cover art is by Naomi Lee Beveridge. And this whole thing has been a super real production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.